1: Hi, everybody. It's another episode on the Property Voice podcast. We're right in the middle of the series on property core skills. Uh, we have another episode this week. One of the core skills we're looking at is research and analysis. And this is really what do we do to kind of make sure we make good decisions around our property deals, our projects, and indeed, you know, potentially areas in which we'd like to invest in or develop in. And so I'm joined today by uh, three panelists. We're going to have a good conversation about this topic and think we've got buried experience around the table. Uh, so we've got Jeff Unsworth, Nana and Emily, hopefully, the and David Masters. So, welcome everybody um, to the, this panel discussion. If you'd like to, I'm going to start with Jeff, if you wouldn't mind just talking us through uh, just a quick intro so the listeners know who you are, where you come from, and then they can sort of picture you when they hear your voice speaking. So Jeff, and then perhaps Nana and Emily. By the way, just before we get into those, just one word of warning. Nana and Emily might have some noise distraction, so I might have to skip here and there just as a forewarning. Now, it probably won't be necessary now I said that, but there we go in case it happens. So Jeff first, Nana and Emily second, and then David. Give us a warm welcome. Hi Richard,
2: uh, my name is Geoff I've been a property investor for just over ten years now. Um, recently I've been ramping up my portfolio um, focusing on BRR projects um, and I've been looking to help low income and universal credit families uh, get onto a decent house and moving on forward to their lives.
1: Welcome back, Jeff. It's good to have you again. It's good to be back. Oh, And Nana and Emily.
3: Yes. <laughs> Thank you for having us again, Richard. So my name is Nana and this is Emily.
4: Hi, everybody.
3: And uh, we are from Sweden and uh, we invest remotely in the UK. And our portfolio at the moment is 3 Rent to rent HMOs, and uh, we're completing on one by to let. And um, yeah, we're looking at a lease option as well. So that's us in, uh, in, a nutshell. in a nutshell. Yeah. Excellent. Well, welcome both and appreciate you joining. And I
1: know you've got your hands full. So, um, <laughs> you know, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. So thanks very much. And Thank um, you. you're welcome. And David
5: yeah hi there hi there, richard um thank you for having me back again uh so i'm I'm david i um have a property sourcing company uh with uh well someone else uh so we essentially focus on uh sourcing for specific clients um spread across well targeted at the u k market um and we've been running that business now for just over two years i think. Uh, and then from a personal perspective, I've re- well, I say recently about uh, I started this year, uh, bought my first house, which is I'm treating as a as, a, as an investment. So currently doing works to the property with the idea of uh, renting it out and then doing the same process and, and building up a bit of a portfolio myself. So yeah, that's me.
1: Excellent. Well, there you go, and you know people know me. Hopefully, but um, I think what we've got is a nice varied background. We've got overseas investors. We've got you know someone more experienced in a, in, in a different sector with Jeff, and obviously someone who sources property uh, for a living actually uh, with David. So um, I'm sure we have a wide ranging conversation. So the topic research and analysis. I'm sure it's the sexiest topic of all of them. We're going to talk about on this series. Um, you know, I think people really get into it. But, you know, I guess probably a good place to start is is it, do you start with the chicken or the egg? Uh, now, what I mean is, do you start by looking at a property or an area or an area or a property? So that's the chicken and the egg question. So, um, you know, how do people tend to look? Do they sort of zone in on an area and then then drill in deeper to try and find an individual property? Or do people just are they fairly area agnostic and then you know find property deals and then assess the area? What was people's approach, generally speaking? Jeff, let's start with you. Yeah,
2: so the first thing that comes to mind is knowing the area. Um, how do you know you've got a good deal with the property if you don't know the area? So there's a lot of talk about your gold mine area, um, which I think that's misreferenced uh, quite a lot of the time. It's more the area you know and not the gold mine area. It's where you've researched. Um, as they say, is knowledge is king. So you, you need to understand what you want, what the deals you, you want to source. So focus on an area. So a lot of people talk about focusing on areas close to you so you can oversee things um, or areas where you've had past experience the way you grew up and moved away from or where you went to university or a number of different key factors of where you have knowledge and get to know that area, get to understand the figures, get to know what is a good deal, what isn't a good deal, Um, understand the areas uh, in the particular city or town which are good areas to invest. You could see a great property and realise it's in the middle of the red light district of a particular town. It's a a great property and it's a great price, but it's an awful area, so you're not going to get great tenants if at all. So there's there's things like that you've got to be very aware of when you're first looking at property deals. Um, And the other things are knowing what you want with properties. So do you want to have a a buy-to-let? Do you want to have a HMO? What what are you interested in? And that's the sort of deals you've got to be looking at. So if you've got a HMO uh, strategy, you want to look at where is a good place to HMO. Do you want student HMOs? Do you want professional HMOs? What areas are good for those? So there's there's all these key uh, indicators that you need to know before you actually start offers in on properties. I could go on rent right move now and look at a great property in somewhere I've never seen, or seen before and it's 120000 for a full bedroom property. And I think that's a great return on investment because I look at my uh, rental incomes for that area, but I don't know that area properly. So it, it's not a great investment for me. Key points there. Uh, I
1: think we you know, know the area clearly. Um, so there's a, a degree of understanding and familiarity about your area and obviously know your strategy and, and assess whether it's suitable in the area. And I think the other point was there's areas within areas. So uh, there could be a town or a city and then, you know, wrong side of the tracks or wrong side of the road and you could be in trouble. I think pretty key points you're making, yeah. Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate that. No, no, no Emily, you're poised. Um, would you,
3: what's your yeah. perspective? So for us, obviously, because we are living abroad, it's very, very important for us to get the area correct. So what we do is we, beside what Jeff mentioned, we also contact uh, the letting agent and people on different forums and ask them what they are saying about different areas just to get what the local people are saying. And then... We all have also started using this uh, website called Property Data that's uh, very good and uh, yeah, and if you combine all of that and maybe if it's a big city, if you look where the the Tesco bus go, that's a uh, really, really good because then you know you know people that are maybe in uh, like in our situation, we're like a small family. We, we might not have a car or one of us have the car and the other one don't. Then we usually want to jump on the bus route and etc. So have I missed anything?
4: No, I think you covered, covered pretty much everything. So like Nana says, it's very important to have people that can look through the areas for us and let us know what's happening since we are not uh, on site pretty much. And then we need to verify it, of course. So that's why we have different sources uh, of information, pretty much. Like you said, Richard, trust, but verify.
1: (laughs) So, I mean, uh, you make some really good points there. And I think the fact that you're further away, um, you know, it's interesting because there's probably quite a lot of remote investors anyway. So you can be remote. You could be, say, working in one city and investing in another city. So you'd be remote in that context. Um, but you're obviously in a different country, so that probably exaggerates that. I think it's important that you said that you get um, different uh, perspectives. I quite like what you said about the bus routes, which kind of brings in transport links. You know, um, we start to we could talk about investment fundamentals. Uh, you know, we're starting to talk about a couple of them. They're kind of coming out naturally in the conversation. We'll probably come back to that. Can't wait for David to speak because I bet he's got some really interesting points on uh, investment fundamentals. Um, but yeah, some really good points about. I, I never really thought about the Tesco bus route, but that's uh, that's good to know. Good tip. Thanks, uh, Nan and Emily and um, David. I've just queued you up really. So, how do you go about things?
5: Yeah, so I think um, from from a sourcing perspective, we we tend to. Uh, and Jeff mentioned it is is what are the what is the client looking for in terms of their actual asset? So, for example, holiday let, you'll be looking very different locations against the Central HMO or if it's capital growth that they're looking for uh, versus rental income. So for me, the fundamental is actually knowing what asset type um, the client is actually wanting because that will have a steer as to you know roughly the broad areas that people will look for. And then I agree, I, I think rather than you can make a lot of properties work just based on numbers, but uh, as kind of everyone said, uh, that the, the, the property could be located next to, uh, I don't know, a, a former coal mine, and and actually everyone's moving out of that area. So, understanding the wider economics of infrastructure, employment prospects, uh, transport, as as people have alluded to already, is is really fundamental because then it gives you a, an indication of what tenants you can attract, um, and and the tenant types as well. I mean. It makes no sense. You could find a HMO that works in a, in a city um, and you could say that you could get students there, but they could, if there's no, not good transport links and they're two miles or three miles outside of the actual cool town, then you're probably not going to attract the, the type of tenant that you're after, if it's students, for example. So, yeah, I, I think fundamentally is knowing the actual asset you want um, or a targeting as, as per your strategy. And then naming down, uh, if you're not familiar with kind of geographical areas, naming down uh, key fundamentals uh, that will guide your investment decision process, essentially.
1: Yeah, um, of course you you source for other people, and <clears throat> do you source in one particular area, David, or do you source in in different areas?
5: No, all, all over. So we have clients looking Liverpool uh Leeds, Nottingham, and then down south, like uh, Swindon, Bath, Bristol, uh, Portsmouth, so all, all over the place. So uh kind of the, the general structure of how we get to understanding some people know what they you know where they want to go for because they have a you know they're either local or they they like that area. Uh but we do quite a bit of work in trying to understand what their criteria is. So what are they trying to hit in terms of their investment um, returns? What actual asset profile are they looking for? HMO, buy to kind of thing. Um, and then, you know, what's, a, what, what's important for them? Is it tenant type? Is it uh, long, long-term tenants? Uh, is it capital growth over, do, do you want the capital values to hold? And then that once you start nailing down into some of those finer details, it gives you a bit more of a profile that allows you to to target specific areas. Um and and then once you once you've got like a handful of areas, then you target even further by speaking to agents, getting an understanding, visiting the area, understanding what the you know, what being in the area is like, uh, what's the kind of the vibe Is it is it is it a vibrant city town or is it quite Rural, quiet. So, yeah, there's quite a bit of, uh, I think, further analysis that's required. Often,
1: yeah. And we are talking about sort of um, fundamentals, investment fundamentals. But you know, just so that you know, people understand what we're referring to collectively. What what are the sort of what are the investment fundamentals? What are the sort of the basic building blocks of investment property? Let's call it investment property primarily. You know, what do people look for as fundamental? Um, to
2: that investment, to underpin their investment. There's some key points, so it's like three main key areas where looking for demand, um, so supply and demand, looking for growth, uh, and then the, the key one is return. Mm-hmm. So if there's, if there's no none of that of, of the above, so there's, if there's no supply and demand, it's not worth investing in the area. So you need a, a certain amount of um, volume in sales and before you can actually start looking at an area and assessing your property. So you don't want to invest in a small town in the middle of Bedfordshire. You, you want to look at somewhere a bit more uh, substantial so you, you get better figures. It's easier to understand, unless you're very local to that area and you're very, you know it very well. Uh, and then you're looking for growth and then you return on your numbers like David mentioned. It's it's what investors are, are looking for. Uh, what, what's their profile? Are they looking for growth and return? Um, I, I know in the past I've focused on uh, return. But because I've been in the game for 10 years, growth has been one of those things that has just happened. And it, it, it's just one of those wonderful things that creeps up on you and suddenly... You, you realize that what growth you've, you've had on your portfolio is,
1: is great. Absolutely. So we got, we got those fundamentals in terms of the, um, you know, supply demand, uh, growth, and return. But what are the drivers of those things? You know, what, what, um, you know collectively, what do we look for? I mean, so, for example, I, I'll give you one of my drivers. So a, a real shortcut that I use is population. You know, so if there's a, a, a decent-sized catchment area, Around my property, um, there's a pool then of people um, who could potentially look to, uh, let's talk about rental property, they could rent that property, obviously if it's a sale, uh, they could buy that property. Um, now, I know you counterbalance the, the demand size with supply. So you you look at both, don't you? You look at, well, how many people are there, population size and of the right type of profile, depending on what type of tenant profile you look for. But equally, what's the competition? Uh, you know, how, is there a glut of properties available for rent? So, But what, what are other drivers do people tend to look for in the local area, which might drive those investment fundamentals that you, that Jeff referred to?
5: I think if you can go on, um, so all councils will have a website whereby they'll show, um, I think, a few things. One of them is planning, so how many planning applications are being approved, denied, will show the activity of the council, Um, and really you're looking at some of the bigger schemes. So you're looking at how many new houses are being, because every council has targets to hit uh, for new housing um so you're looking at what what what's the future demand what's the future pipeline um so are you able to get in now and and benefit from maybe the kind of over uh, under supply or an over demand um but also on council websites they'll do a lot of or most of them anyway uh, that I've seen will have uh, kind of regeneration uh, projects that are planned or forecast or ones that are kind of undergoing and I think it comes back to Jess's point, of the supply and demand point. If there's regeneration in an area, or if there's investment going into an area whereby uh, they're, they're looking to attract new business, uh, so you know they're really pushing a lot of like enterprise uh, schemes. Or I'm just trying to think of another. There's a lot of that kind of scheme um, out there at the moment where they're trying to, you know, an up and coming area is driving. New business, so they'll have like tech hubs or 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 whatever, and that for me is is a key part to looking at this future, the areas future potential, because you'll 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 know that if there's a key kind of employment hub or infrastructure that's being built, there's going to bring longer term interest into the area, which probably will mean more housing requirements and ultimately will mean just demand for for property. So, I think that's another thing that can be included in one of those investments.
1: Sounds good. And Anna and Emily, have you got anything you wanted to add to that? No, not right now. Gotcha. Jeff, you're going to come back.
2: Yeah, some of the examples of that is obviously HS2 um, with high speed links to London. Uh, so, you're looking at the, the transport infrastructure upgrades for Birmingham, Crewe, Manchester, Liverpool, all key, key parts of their economies and how they're going to thrive in future. And the other thing I've I've seen previously, well, not previously, recently, is the new freeports. So, for example, I've been looking at around Liverpool in the north-west, they do of investment, and obviously Bootle in Liverpool is a freeport, but a part of that infrastructure is a holding facility just outside Liverpool, in St Helens. So it's going to be a huge warehouse facility, which will need a lot of workers. Um, so I've been looking around those areas for that type of property that 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 sort of worker will want to actually invest in or want to to rent off me. And so there's lots of these projects, and if you look around, it, especially the free ports, if you look around the country. There, there's the, the ports and the facilities which are actually actually supporting those free ports as well. So you want to look a little bit further out of what's going on with the government uh, outlines of, of what's going on.
1: Yeah, sounds good. I think, you know, so to summarise really some of these uh, drivers of these fundamentals, you've got people or population, you know, catchment area, you've got investment, whether that's, you know, enterprise schemes or local investment or, or infrastructure investment with road and rail schemes, for example. And um, And I think the other big one is um, is jobs. You know, what's going to provide the income uh, for you know our tenants or our, our house buyers? Of course, there's a flip to that, and Jeff, I'm looking in your direction because um, if, you, if you target working tenants, you're interested in in jobs, you're interested in the employment rate in the area and how many employers there are, uh, so it's not necessarily so dependent on one potential large employer. But if you're targeting let's say people who are not working. Um, and actually, you may be looking for uh, even, a, 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 I don't know if this is true in your case, Jeff, but you may be looking for where there's um, you know, maybe a higher than average unemployment. Would that be fair or not?
2: Yes and no. Um, what I, I try to do is support people on low incomes. So people who are trying, people who've got jobs as security guards or forklift, drive, tr- tr- forklift drivers or People who work in the supermarkets, people who want to work and actually can't earn a decent living doing those jobs and maintaining a house and family. So I want those people who are hard working but unfortunately not to earn a good living. So they're the people I'm focusing on. So I, I wouldn't particularly focus on someone who wants to be unemployed. I prefer to focus on someone who wants to work and needs top up to their housing allowance by a universal credit or local housing authority. So that's where my focus is. And a lot of people want to do that and do that, but then you do get some which don't want to actually work and I'm not interested in that type of person.
1: Yeah, but the general point being that your tenant profile, you know, there needs to be a concentration of your tenant profile, whether it's, you know, hardworking tenants, um, so-called professionals, Um, people who are, you know, students, people who are maybe not working, uh, and that will drive, you know, you need to have the pool of those tenants to drive the demand to fill your property. And I think one of the things that was kind of, just before we move into maybe looking at the properties side of things, um, one of the things that you've kind of all alluded to, to some extent, but didn't say necessarily directly, well, you did actually, Jeff, you said growth. So, um, and, and some of the things you've been talking about point to trends, they talk about you know what what will happen, what will happen with housing policy, what will happen with new investment in infrastructure or new jobs, and you know I think so. There's there's an eye on today, but there's definitely an eye on what might happen tomorrow. And when I say tomorrow, in property terms, you know it could be a couple of decades uh, ultimately. Um, is that fair? So looking at today, but also looking at what it could be trending, and could it trend up? Could it trend down? Is that fair?
5: Yeah, I think I think so, and and something that I did when I was looking for my own personal home, so um, which I don't know whether it's a trick or not, is uh, some of these big house builders. the 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 way they work is they land bank, and they do a whole load of research about the lands that they're, they're buying because uh, they're looking for sites that you can get a hundred plus units on. Um, so they have a whole team that's working on. What is the future potential of that specific area? Because they're not going to land bank something that they, A, don't believe in is going to actually affect, have good kind of growth or at least good sales prospects, and B, the, the other side of that argument is they, they're they also looking for somewhere that's, that needs to grow with the, the council. So they're, they're looking for favorable planning. So the, coming back to your point there, Richard, is if the big house builders are looking in those areas, and you're able, and you, you're able to see on the planning portal that there are lots of, uh, and there's there's different tools out there. There's property data, I think uh, Nana mentioned, and there's Realize, and there's there's another one and the name escapes me, and you've actually spoken about this, Rich, in the past. I think it begins with N, but it's specifically for land, and you can find, you know, large parcels of land that are owned by different entities, and if you can find on these portals large locations of of essentially land banked deals that have kind of got planning submitted for two hundred houses, and you then target an area that goes okay, I know in the future that's going to have a lot of new housing stock coming to the area. you know from a capital growth perspective, the chances are that area is going to be on the increase um and so that's how that's one of the ways that I found what i well the location I'm in at the moment, which is in the midlands um because Uh, Barrett's for example are are building a big 200 200 plus uh, houses opposite the railway station and there's another one just on the outskirts as well uh, closer to Northampton which I think is one of the other house builders another 200 units there and for me if they're building there there needs to be a reason Um, so yeah thanks David I think Nimbus Maps
1: is it Nimbus
5: yeah that's the one Nimbus Maps
1: um, I don't know if Nana and Emily, you want to add to that at all? Still good? <laughs> this is really funny because I know they've got some noisy distraction in the background. It kind of gives me a thumbs up if they can, they can or can't talk. Uh, so that's a yes and that's a no. Um, so the other one, just to pick up on David's um, theme there about land, backing, land banking developers, um, which is a really good tip. Um, for future, you know, you know, supply. I think other just short short circuit tips are things like the supermarkets and um, some of the the chain you know, coffee shops. You know, cost the, the so called coster effect, the so called waitrose effect, um, because all of these people have very um, significant sort of land buying teams who do a lot of research. And you can bet your bottom dollar if those sort of supermarkets are looking to put in a new uh, uh, shopping, you know, super, supermarket essentially in an area, then they're suggesting it's it's ripe, you know, to fulfill demand in that local area. So that's kind of, kind of a nice hack, if you like. And I guess everybody's talking about proxy hotspots. You know, it's, you know, people that you want a decent rental investment return, but everybody wants to get that capital growth. They want to get above average capital growth. So they look for the so-called hotspots. So that's often regeneration areas. Um, maybe a place that was hard to access, you know, commuter towns which might be coming to reach of a major city. This could be changing in the current landscape where more people are actually moving away from cities potentially right now. That's a current trend. You know, so it's it's trying to identify hotspots, you know, gentrification areas, you know, regeneration into, into perhaps previously not so desirable locations. So I kind of just sort of throw that out there because I don't know if anybody wants to add to that. Um,
3: point. A, a, a perfect the city uh, to to uh, what you mentioned is Aberdeen, because when the oil price and the oil business going well, then people tend to go up there and work, and yeah, a lot of boom there. It's 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 the same area in, in Sweden uh, because we're close to Norway, so uh, when uh, when the oil business is good, they they always uh, seek a lot of people to come to work.
1: Yeah, and you make a really good point there because you know that's that that really talks about the dependency on one particular industry. Um, so in that case, oil, quite rightly. Previously we've had coal mining, shipbuilding, you know, different types of industry concentrations. But if there's a if there's a turnaround in that industry, it can affect your, your prospects, whether it's capital growth or in indeed uh, rental. So I think one of the reasons I tend not to chase those sort of large, over-concentrated areas from like an industry or an employer point of view, is that risk that it can change? And in fact, Aberdeen's a really good case in point. If you look at Aberdeen's house prices more recently, they've been on this sort of downward trajectory, whereas I think in the uh, early 2000s, they were on a very upward uh, 1990s, early 2000s, upward trajectory above average. So they kind of went up really quick and then they're kind of coming down uh, quicker than average as well. So uh, I tend to look at more widely available uh things you know like um inward investment multiple employers uh transport links you know people have mentioned hs2 crossrail will be another example motorway bypasses things like that so that's good so that's talking about the um area and you know i think i th- Probably one point I just wanted to pick up on area. Anybody here involved in projects doing, you know, not just a rental property, but maybe some kind of development, whether it's small D development or large D development, David, you. So I think just I'll bring you in because um, are there any different factors that you might need to consider from an area point of view if you're thinking of some kind of development or project uh, activity that might be different to just, say, a pure rental property? <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you a helping uh, hand. Supply chain. In fact, helping hand is the cue because who do you need um to help you undertake the development activity? I mean, I know in your case you might be rolling your sleeves up and, and painting the walls at okay, <laughs> I know you've spoken to me, builders and contractors. So yeah, um, you know that's where I'm going.
5: Yeah. No. Well, uh, and supply as well. How, how easy is it to get materials? aware of your building um i mean on larger developments if you're more rural uh you know and, you, and it's kind of country country roads and you've got big timber frames um you know it does have to be a consideration that you know you're gonna have to get a big lorry down there to deliver all your timber frames so the logistics of it certainly has to play a factor um and, and something so simple like if if you're building in a field you you're going to have to start by building all the infrastructure so you're going to have to start by building the roads um and depending you know going slightly off piece here in terms of potentially larger projects but if you're if you're looking at a, you know reasonable sized projects of let's say 10 houses uh, and and you're just building up a field the first thing you have to do is build all the infrastructure to actually support the um the development and all the, the site logistics and, and, and travel so if you are in a, in a rural area or even a built-up area things like storage things like security um places you know permits with the council um are all things you're gonna to have to consider as well as access to utilities um which you know specifically is 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 more of a problem when you're when you're building in in rural locations, um, and if you're building in kind of more urban uh, built-up areas, is the utility provision sufficient? Uh, will you need to have a put in a substation, um, which you know is is no no cheap thing to do? So yeah, for for developments that that, that there's a whole host of different things about the just the general logistics of. Delivering the scheme that you're proposing. Uh, and if it's just the BRR kind of single house flip, from my own experience, and what you're referencing is access to builders <laughs> um, and tradespeople. Yeah, it's uh, their availability.
2: And on the smaller scale as well, is, I've previously had a, a perfect property. I might move upgrade, is exactly what I needed, come down three-bedroom, little garden, everything everything tick the box. Turn up to view the property, and it's on a fairly main road, set back from the, the main street with a set of traffic lights, WL lines outside, no access to the rear. The nearest parking was probably 100 metres away, nowhere to drop materials off, things like that. So there's little things like that which can also affect any deal. Um, and that's when you get to the, the nuts and bolts of things and the, the smaller projects and you realize this is not going to work for me or all my contractors.
1: I think one of the key phrases is my contractors, right? So, of course, if you go into an area, let's say you go into to a new area, you might not have my contractors. You know, you have to go and find them. And so uh, David talks about availability, things like that. And um, usually good contractors have got, you know, they're they're backed up in terms of their availability anyway. Um, And then, you know, how do you suss out a good one from a not so good one when you're going into a new area? So it goes back to kind of the cookie cutter approach. So if you go into an area and then you've got to do, you know, development, whether it's refurb style development, conversions, development, um, full on development, you know, ground up or or whatever, then you're going to need that team of contractors Who can you can depend upon, and so it makes more sense to kind of try and repeat your activity in a smaller area where you can use and reuse the same kind of team effectively. So that's the the contractor side of it, and I do agree with the logistics side of it as well that came out. Of course, the other thing is um, particularly from a rentals point of view, you're going to need, well, you won't necessarily depends on how you choose to manage the property. We've spoken about that before, but oftentimes you might need a, let's say, a letting agent or something. And so the uh, having access to decent letting agents um, to support you in that area will also play a part. Good stuff. So okay, we've got that area. Um, we kind of talked about a little bit about projects, kind of what to take into consideration. What about the deals then? what about a property itself? So we've previously spoken about sort of running the numbers, you know, and, you know, key performance uh, indicators and measures of uh, return, the spreadsheet side of things. What about the non-spreadsheet side of things when it comes to assessing a property? What do we look for with a property itself? So, we, obviously, one aspect will be the area, but if we're drilling into the property, what else, you know, would we take into consideration to suss out whether it's a decent rental or, or, um, or, or uh, you know, uh, sale property, flip properties, what I'm going to say, uh, or otherwise? What do people do?
5: Well, I think um, when, when, when. You go to see the property, and I'm uh, I'm assuming you're going to see the property. So, uh, actually, that's one thing. It's a say. good assumption. See the property, <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, and if you're unable to get someone you trust to, um, because seeing the property in in person in flesh, uh, and we kind of alluded to it earlier, you can find something on Right Move uh, that you know ticks all the boxes. But actually, when you go to see the property, as Jeff said. It may be that there's double yellow lines outside, and, and you can't park. And if one of your key criteria, if this is a personal property, or if it's you know you're trying to target a, a buy to let for a family, they're going to have to get somewhere to park if it's a house, for example. So, um, seeing the property, I think, is 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 fundamental, and actually seeing the structure. So, um, you know, if 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 you are able to find someone who's who's an architect friend or, or someone that has some experience or a builder, for example, on things like subsidence or um, damp, those kind of things. Uh, because th- those are kind of costs that can sneak in and, and, well, significantly throw a project out if there's something wrong. Um, and then also other pieces like how old is the boiler. Uh, so just looking at the general wear and tear of the building will give you a good indication of if your works cost estimates are correct or in the right ballpark, or if you're what miles out, um, and, and depending on your investment kind of criterion, what the council requires room sizes. If you're trying to convert something into a into a HMO, and the rooms just by the nature of the floor plan are below the the local council's limits, I mean that that can be a be a problem, and and it could be such that if you're unable to kind of redo the whole floor plan, then it won't work for what you're what you're looking for. So those are just a few few points from me really. I don't know what others think.
3: Usually uh, we like we target terrace houses. So when it comes to properties, because uh that's what we've been taught is mostly what people rent. And when you go to like a detached or maybe semi-detached, it's more if you're going to do a flip, obviously you can do a flip on a terrace house, but it's more exclusive. Uh, And something else I think uh, we should mention is the roof. The roof is very important to know when the latest, like fix the roof, because that can be a big issue as well. And then you don't know what's beside the the plastering and all of that. Even if you, if you don't do it back to brick, so you can get some surprises when you open it up. But yeah, I think David covered like everything.
2: (laughs) One of the things you need to consider as well on all these deals is we've talked about what the deal is and, and what the, Person's looking for, but everyone is looking for a below market value deal, and that's the, the big word everyone uses. And what what worries what a below market value deal um, in a rising market? Does it matter? Um, in a at the, at the moment, the market well, it's cooling down slightly, but at the previous sort of six months, twelve months, the market's been very hot. And for example, for me, I pay market value for a property. And assuming it was run down, I paid market value, I had to redo the boiler, redo a lot of things in that property to make it something that I wanted to to let out to someone. It was a condition I wanted and it was a price I I was willing to pay. Thankfully, because it's a growing market, it's turned out very well. Um, 10% growth for the last 12 months. It's perfect. So that, that that caused my below market deal without actually getting a below market uh, value deal. So that that's great. But it's it's also when you're looking at the properties, look at the like seller's circumstances. So wh- what's the seller doing? Why are they selling? Um it could be divorcees, it, it could be selling a property because um the, 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 the children are selling the property of their parents because they passed away. Um that's generally what I, I come across quite a lot. And it's how much they want, um, how much they're willing to wait, how much they need the money. Um, there's, there's a lot of factors involved. And you, you need to sort of, each property is very individual. Um, for example, you could look at a, a property which has been advertised incorrectly. So for uh, a few, well, many years ago now, I, I bought a two bedroom house. Which was originally a three bedroom house, but persons was living there by themselves, converted two bedrooms into one. So they had a nice uh, bedroom space. And I then went ahead and converted it back. So instantly adding value to that property, um, which a lot of people just didn't see in, in the first, uh, second sentence. You also look at um, alternative properties. So, yes, right move and is a great place and, and Zoopla and all of the big portals. But look at uh, commercial properties. So, the big thing at the moment is uh, residential conversions. For they've changed the permitted development rights for class E uh, shops to be able to convert them to class uh, three uh, dwellings. So, yeah, you need to, to look at that. And yes, you do need prior approval from the councils, and there's a lot of other factors that you need. To, 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 to consider before actually go into that. But with the right background information, you, you can carry it. So look at the planner portals, uh, speak to the local council planners, uh, or if you're lucky enough to have the, the means to hire a planner in hotels.
5: Just one point, sorry to add to, to that, Richard, which you taught me, is uh, what's your option B? So if you've got a property that you, you've seen that's just a single Uh, It kind of is just one way street, it can only be used as a buy to let Uh, that, you know, there's an element of risk in that. So something that I I know you've already said, always said to me is, you know, what's your option B? Is there an opportunity to convert the loft um, into a fourth bed or, you know, third bed or or an extra room? Is there opportunity to extend somewhere? Uh, Is there the opportunity to repurpose the building? as Jeff was saying, you know, some commercial properties like mixed mixed use, that kind of thing. So um, that's definitely another really key consideration, I, I feel, uh, and especially when presenting a deal to a client, because the the whole purpose of, you know, it's investment, so there's, there's risk. So if you can mitigate risk by having an option B, option C, um, with different different types of strategies, that's another key and, and the, the final one that I just thought of was um, a very fundamental: the title. So, is it freehold, leasehold, and understanding um, if specifically if it's leasehold, what are the terms of the lease? So, is it or kind of what's the, what's the lease length? Um, because it, well, that can affect mortgage mortgageability. It can also affect massively returns depending on ground rent, service charge uh which would make it kind of almost worthless in terms of the return you're going to get so those are the key things property specific um that, that you need to consider
1: absolutely uh, and so you know we talked a little bit about the condition of the property um the accessibility you know so you can if you're going to do works we talked about um BMV, below market value. I was going to interject, actually, Jeff, when you started talking about that, saying, well, in the current market, what's BMV? I'd say 5% above asking price. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> that's below market value. By the time you've kind of gone through uh, some kind of cycle, uh, you kind you of illustrated that point really well. And, um, and I think, yeah, absolutely. Uh, option B, plan B, um, I talk about that, you kind of mix the sort of plan B or option B as mitigate the downside to kind of avoid risk. So could you, could you flip it if you can't rent it kind of thing? That would mitigate risk uh, or the other way around. Uh, but equally, I think what you did, the examples you made really well were about uh, added value potential. So could you add, add value to this property in some way, for example, by extending, converting? Now, if you, if you restricted, like it's a flat, for example, if it's a flat, it's going to be difficult to add value, significant value, to a flat. There are ways you can extend the lease. You can maybe do what Jeff talked about. Maybe there's quite a large, uh, there's two large bedrooms where you can slice one up into two, for example. And if you get a premium for an extra bedroom in a location, that might be a way. But generally speaking, flats you can't do much with them. The actual footprint it's fixed. Whereas with a house, you can go up, you can go, uh, and you can go out pretty much. Uh, sometimes you can build on the on on the side. So I quite like to have added value potential, even if I'm not going to utilize that on day one. And, and, and as you say, David, you could also have uh, plan B, option B. I've had that myself. I had a flip project. I came to market the project, and but during my refurb, next door put their house on the market at a low-ball price, and that ruined my uh, sale potential. So my option B in that case was, can I live with a rental? And I could live with a rental, so I rented it for a period of time. And then you know, just revisit the market later. It wasn't my preferred option, rental, but I could live with it. So look at uh, option B. So you're looking at um, the condition of the property. You're looking at some of the um, added value or or risk mitigation uh, options. And you kind of touched on one there, which I think is really interesting. Some of the legal elements. So um, title would be one. Lease would be another one. Are there any sort of potential legal ramifications that could affect what you're going to do. could be planning uh, conditions, or it could be in an Article 4 location, for example, or conservation area. So those sort of things can have a bearing on the the property too. But I was thinking, you know, apart from that, you know, think about who's going to live there and what will will be important to them. So whether it's a tenant or a homeowner buyer, or even an investment buyer, what, what would be important to that kind of occupant or buyer um, about the ex- about the property itself, what might you want to consider?
5: Well, uh, well I think something that has been really highlighted during COVID is outdoor space.
2: Mm-hmm.
5: So uh, certainly that I've seen more more kind of blocks of flats with balconies, um, uh, you know, and and just houses with outdoor rear garden space. Um and then as Jeff said earlier cars parking. Um, I think there are a few I
2: don't know those others. And as you talked about before Richard, about employees, who are the employees, how do people get to meet um what are the links involved so are the good bus links or the good train links near the property. Who are people? What areas of work are those people going to actually be involved with? So, if you're looking at people in in London commuting from the commuter belt, you want something by the train station, uh, and you're not too worried about parking. So,
1: I think Nana, you wanted to add to that.
3: Yeah, so I'll I'll speak for Emily. <laughs> so she said schools, nursery. Um, employees, we already touched that. Parks, like for like playgrounds, all, uh, and uh, some even go so far as police stations, and you know, uh, you touched this before. Tesco's and yeah, grocery, just those type of stuff that. It depends what type of uh, demand you have. And I mean, let's say if you have a student tenant that you're, you're looking for, then they maybe want to have a pub near them or... <laughs> or free. Or, <laughs> or free, <laughs> yeah. So it it all depends. Or if some, if you're maybe having uh, blue colors that have uh, working site, near close by that's what they're looking for so it's it's different do you want to add something
4: yeah i also think like the the what kind of people are your neighbors as a family if you if you're targeting a family uh, they might want to have other kids in the neighborhood and not be for example having hmos close by and Hubs close by, and like um, youngsters going around on the streets in the afternoon and evening times. So, I think you should look at who's living in the property beside the one you're looking at as well.
1: So, there's some really good points there. And I think, you know. You know, I I call it my star criteria, and you kind of listed a lot of those out there, Nana and Emily. Um, In particular, I think, you know, schools, which includes universities, actually, so it's educational establishment. So it could be schools, could be nurseries, could be universities, depending on your tenant profiles. It's families, that's really, really relevant. If it's young, you know, uh, singles or couples, it's not so relevant. Uh, But they might not equally want to live just outside a school playground um, if they're, you know, a young couple or something like that. For example, so schools or education establishments, transportation links. Now, transport links is relevant to the people who are going to live there. So, uh, you know, it could be a car, could be rail or tram link, could be a bus link, could be just, you know, the, the cycle route. So I think the transport links are also important. Oh, and the bus route, of course. And um, the, the other ones are amenities. Amenities, that's the A in star. Um, is, you know, it's all about your, your doctor's surgery, your hospital, if that's relevant to you, your shopping centre, restaurants, um, and shops and bars, generally speaking, banks, post offices, and police stations. That's an interesting one. Um, not really sure what your tenant profile is, Nana, but, you know, they want to be close to a police station, clearly. Um, I think that's, uh, yeah, security's high on their list. But actually talking about security, because it gives me a cue, um, a lot of people look at crime stats um, as an indicator and, um, you know, I think you can you can look at sort of crime stats as various resources. You can also look at things like uh, how deprived an area is. Um, and if you if you find a deprived area with high crime stats, well, you're probably going to get a low price property, actually. But maybe it's not the safest place for people to live. And um, so there's that. So and I think the R in my star criteria is what I call revenue, which is about jobs and investment. So when you're looking at a specific properties, just kind of look at those things. Something that quite, I, I don't particularly do this too much myself, but a lot of people, do. they do it either on the desktop or they do it um, in reality. It's kind of a walk score. Um, so there is something called walk score uh, where you can kind of get a score for uh, your neighborhood. And that's, that's quite helpful for people to look at. And I think if you don't literally go for the walk score, and sometimes there's forums, what's it like living in this area type of thing? Usually it paints a really bad picture, by the way, because everybody slaughters the areas. Um, another another um, t- you know tip is to is to walk the, the the streets, literally, and walk at different times of day or night, um, and that will give you a good in, a good feel for an area. Uh, sometimes an area feels very different during the day than at night, and uh, you know you just have to imagine yourself. You know what what would it be like uh, after after uh, um, hours walking down the street, maybe as a single person? Would you feel that safe? And uh, you know people, this is the sort of thing that goes through people's mind. Um, and as well as the outside space that David mentioned, I think uh, these days, broadband, fast broadband speeds is a real, you know, priority, I think, for a lot of people too. So there's some there's some factors there. But I guess, you know, probably just thinking about, um, unless people want to add at this point, I'm going to start asking for a bit of a wrap up in a second. And you know what I always ask at the wrap up? If anybody's got any tips or hints or, you know, things that they particularly um, would warn people against when it comes to research and analysis of properties and areas. Um, so have a little think about that. Um, but before perhaps, so is there anything anybody wanted to add um, to anything that we've kind of missed that you think, hey, Richard, you can't leave this topic without talking about this? Getting some shaking heads. All right. In that case, what I'm going to do is um, just let's close. Let's go around the table and any sort of concluding thoughts or top tips, um, if you have any.
2: Yeah, I'll go first. Um, as I said previously, knowledge is king. Uh, know your area, know your target audience uh, and, and from there, your you likelihood you're going to succeed.
3: Great. Knowledge is king. Nana. Uh Just use the data and then send people that you trust and can verify the data. Because uh, like uh, my favorite rapper says, Women lie, men lie, numbers don't. <laughs> you have a rapper who says that. Oh, JC. <laughs> yeah,
4: and on the numbers note, if the numbers work, they work.
1: Okay, well, there's a bit of a focus on numbers in your household yeah? yeah. there. <laughs> Excellent. And David, any final thoughts from you?
5: No, uh, <laughs> not really. Um... I, I kind of just support what the other guys have said, really. Um, I, I think leverage other people's knowledge if you can, agents, especially because they well if you try and build a rapport with them, they, they will you'll get through the, the the sales part and they'll actually give you some really useful information um, and and just agree with Jeff. Knowledge is king, really, know your area.
1: Yeah, well, I think there's some really good points, and David. Yeah, you did. You leverage is a really good one. So you utilise people who've got who're familiar with the area and the properties, and that makes sense to me. So some really good points there. I guess you know, all I would say, perhaps, in in addition to that, is it's there's probably more work to it than people imagine. Um, I think if we've listened to what we've been going about here, it's not just a case of picking a property and right move, putting an offer in, and you know, buying it and sticking a tenant in there. You know, doing doing research and analysis on our investment purchases they're one of the most, if not the most significant expenditure we'll ever make, maybe besides our own home, potentially. And so, you know, we need to spend the time, we invest, uh, do the due diligence. It does take time. And so we have, um, and we can practice to get better at it. We can bring in extra people to help us. But, um, you know, it's worth spending that time so that we don't come across really, and end up with a, maybe a bad investment. But at the same time, we also have to act. And my favorite saying is good is good enough. Um, And so, you know, we're not necessarily looking for perfection either. So, um, you know, maybe an 8 out of 10 is good enough. It doesn't have to always be a 10 out of 10. Anyway, that's my additional tip. So I just want to say thanks to my panellists again. So Jeff, Nana and Emily and David, thanks for joining me once again this week. Um, I think I'm just going to cue people as to where to find uh, the show notes. You can find the show notes over at the website, thepropertyvoice.net. If you'd like to talk to me about anything to do with property or this episode, podcast at thepropertyvoice.net is how you can find uh, find me and reach me. And um, indeed, we tend to publish the contact details of our panellists. So if you'd like to reach out to them and contact them, I think I have everybody's contact details because uh, we've seen each of you before. Um, and I guess that all that remains is to thank my panellists. Thank you for listening. And until next time on the Property Voice podcast, is Chao